the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Final hour, time is flying by as we continue. Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for Stefan Tubbs shortly after. Six o'clock right here on Denver's local talk leader, News Talk 710-KNUS. Our telephone number, 303-696-1971. You can also text into the show on the 710-KNUS app if you feel so inclined or... Shoot me an email, 710KNUS website. Go to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show page. Of course, I host the Jimmy Sangenberger Show every Saturday morning from 6 to 9. Or on my website, jimmysangenberger.com. All ease, all the time in Sangenberger. Great to be with you. So, look, we're going to be kind of open skate this hour, I think. So feel free to call in on anything that we have talked about, and there's more to discuss as well. But here's an interesting contradiction that I have noticed in the business and economic news that has been coming out over the course of this week. On the one hand, Wall Street Journal has this headline. U.S. GDP rose 2.9% in the fourth quarter after a year of high inflation. Noting that it did enter this year with less momentum as rising interest rates and still high inflation weighed on demand, with U.S. growth in the fourth quarter down slightly from a uh, 3.2% annual rate in the third quarter, the Commerce Department said Thursday. Consumer spending... They say help drive the fourth quarter gain while the housing market weakened and businesses cut back their spending on equipment. So you have this assertion, 2.9% growth in the fourth quarter of 2022. But then there's another headline. Corporate layoffs spread beyond high growth tech giants because the economy is really doing so well. IBM announced plans to cut thousands of jobs to prepare for a darkening economic outlook as the current wave of corporate layoffs spreads beyond high-growth technology companies. Together with layoffs announced by manufacturer 3M this week, these companies are trimming more than 10,000 jobs, just a fraction of their total workforces. Still, the decisions mark a shift in sentiment Inside executive suites, where many leaders have been holding on to workers after struggling to hire and retain them in recent years when the pandemic disrupted workplaces. The creator of the popular layoff tracker, layoffs.fyi, which again, I said this the first time I saw this, that's a cool uh, domain tag or whatever it is, .fyi, layoffs.fyi, how about we do... Fauci.fyi or any number of things. It's pretty cool. Anyway, the creator of that website, Roger Lee, 
And the head of talent adventure firm M13, Matt Hoffman, sat down with a Wall Street Journal reporter to discuss what's behind. And they found that unlike Microsoft Corporation and Google parent Alphabet, which announced larger layoffs this month, these companies haven't expanded their workforces dramatically during the pandemic. Instead, the leaders of these global giants said they were shrinking to adjust to slowing growth or responding to weaker demand for their products. So Alphabet, Microsoft, Amazon, and many other big tech companies have been cutting jobs. 3M and IBM have gotten into the party. So there's a rosy GDP number, 2.9%. Oh, things are improving. The quarter was good. The year had 3.2% average for the annual rate in uh, in the third quarter of last year. And that was good and slightly down at 2.9%. So optimistic rosy scenarios. Meanwhile, you got all these layoffs in Biden's great economy such a brilliant thriving economy so what about that contradiction between what this number supposedly says about economic growth and then you've got these layoffs in a supposedly thriving economy well i think we're not thriving we're slowing down we were in sort of a mini recession early last year and now we are on the verge of a full-blown recession coming up and very likely that will happen and businesses are bracing for it now right at this juncture meanwhile one of the things that people are concerned about in the investment world is this debt ceiling Situation, the debacle over the debt ceiling, which Congress always ends up resolving. And you know what? Sometimes you got to pay the piper. You have to endure the consequences, which includes cutting spending. But who's responsible for getting us to this point? Who is responsible for bringing us to the brink? Elizabeth Warren, senator from Massachusetts, claims it's the Republicans' fault that we are about to hit the debt ceiling. Why? Because of Trump's tax cuts. If the Republicans had not pushed just two things, the Republican tax cuts that went mostly to those at the very top and the biggest corporations, and hollowing out the IRS specifically so they could not hold wealthy tax cheats accountable, wouldn't be able to audit them. If those two things had not happened, then we wouldn't even hit the debt ceiling at any time during the first Biden administration. Oh, my gosh. If the Republicans hadn't cut taxes and they only bolstered the IRS, well, we wouldn't be hitting the debt ceiling because we would have had more money coming into the federal coffers. I can't say the word that's in my mind on the radio. 
because I'd have to push the dump button and I don't have Stefan's button here in front of me. But it begins with a B and midway through is an S. Claiming that the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act didn't actually result in higher revenues. Well, let's be real. That is absolutely false. I loved this editorial from the Wall Street Journal in April of last year. Corporate tax revenue declined in the immediate wake of the tax reform effort as rates fell. But the big news now is that more corporate tax revenue is flowing into the Treasury at record levels, even with the lower rate. The nearby table that they have tells a story for the fiscal year 2021, with an estimate for fiscal year 2022 based on results. In June 2017, before tax reform passed, the Congressional Budget Office predicted that corporate tax revenue of $383 billion in fiscal 2021 would come in. But in April 2018, they lowered their estimate to $327 billion. But then actual corporate income tax revenue in 2021 was $372 billion, nearly as much at a 21% rate as CBO expected at a 35% rate that was among the highest in the world. And at the time, corporate tax revenue for the first six months was up 22% from a year earlier to $127 billion. So in other words, more money was coming in, particularly from corporations, as a result of the Trump tax rate cuts on corporations. And more money came into the coffers. It's flagrantly false, not surprising, but flagrantly false that Elizabeth Warren would claim what she claimed here. would claim that if Republicans didn't pass their damn tax cuts, then guess what? We would not be in this situation because we would have had all this money in the world. Yeah, no. That's not how it works. Now, Republicans, what will they do? Well, they're trying to negotiate, but the Democrats just don't want to negotiate. Particularly, President Joe Biden does not want to negotiate, refuses to negotiate, which is an explicit contradiction to himself 12 12 or 13 years ago when you had the negotiator, Vice President Biden. We played this montage yesterday. This is where Biden was at back in 2010-2011. I think there's going to be a need uh, on everyone's part and a realization that's everyone's interest politically to cooperate in dealing with uh, keeping the economy growing and beginning to address the long-term debts. Today, I uh, had a chance to talk a little bit with each of my colleagues. Uh, we're going to lay down, not hard negotiating position, but let's make sure each of us understand what the, where the other guy's coming from. Uh, why we think the plan we put forward, each of us have put forward, makes the most sense. And then we're going to get to work. This is the debt limit. And it was, I don't want to use pejorative terms, it was used as the means by which 
unless certain compromises were made, we would default on our debt. There's room within the budget to fund those priorities. But it's going to be, uh, you know, what it ordinarily would be, a normal political battle. This is a cycle. I predict to you that a lot of those new members who came here with my way or the highway, they'll either be on the highway or they'll learn that they have to have compromise. And yet he's unwilling to compromise, even as Republicans have practical ideas, good ideas for what to do on the budget, such as Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio. Well, of course, we're not going to cut Social Security and Medicare. But what we are going to do is, is, is get a handle on this crazy spending. Now, understand this. Five weeks ago, the Democrats passed a $1.7 trillion bill that House Republicans opposed. And then one week ago, just one week ago, Karine Jean-Pierre says from the White House, the White House will not negotiate with Republicans on raising the amount of money, uh, raising the debt ceiling. Are you kidding me? They spend like crazy just five weeks ago and now say, oh, give us more money so we can continue to spend and we're not going to talk to you guys. That is ridiculous and no one buys that. So we need, to, we need to put in place some structural changes that I think are important. Here's one that's real simple. How about the Senate do a budget, something they haven't done in years? You're going to borrow more money? You go to a bank, you're going to borrow more money? you got to tell the bank, here's, here's our business plan. you got to show them some kind of budget, some kind of plan. But the Senate hasn't even had to do that. So, Chuck Schumer, how about you guys write a budget? And how about this one as well, Dana? What, what if we say if we get to the end of the fiscal year and we haven't funded the government, haven't, the appropriation process isn't complete, then we just spend at the current level. We don't have some government shutdown, showdown scenario. We just spend what we're currently spending. After all, a lot of families have had to do that. A lot of businesses have had to do that. And frankly, they've had to do even they've had to deal with e- even worse things because we got this record inflation can, can under Joe Biden. So those are some practical things. Can- God forbid the government actually kept its spending at current levels. And that's an example of what Republicans are trying to do. Something common sense when it comes to government spending. Start by keeping it at current levels and then bring it down. Because make no mistake, we need massive spending cuts. Ideally, we would have various federal departments that would be abolished. Go the way of the dodo bird. Sayonara to some of these departments. Probably a good chunk of the federal departments and a good chunk of the federal agencies. But Republicans are actually trying to address this issue for the first time. You have a Republican Congress, or at least a Republican House, for the first time with the Democrat president that looks like they're going to hold the line more. It's like if Speaker McCarthy comes out swinging affirmatively like he did yesterday in his press conference where he chastised, I don't have the clip, but he chastised, thoroughly chastised Biden for being unwilling to negotiate at all with Republicans. Which is nonsense. Because you have a Republican-controlled House of Representatives. You should be negotiating like Biden always touted back in the day. But now that he's president, he seems not to give a damn about actually sitting down at the table with Republicans and having any sort of conversation. Instead, he's the kind of guy who nominates folks to the judiciary like this one who doesn't know 
Articles 5 and 2 of the Constitution. Judge, on the far end, uh, tell, tell me what Article 5 of the Constitution does. Article 5 is not coming to mind at the moment. Okay. How about Article 2? Neither is Article 2. Okay. Do you know what purposivism is? Um, In my 12 years as an assistant attorney general and my nine years serving as a judge, I was not faced with that precise question. Um, We are the highest trial court in Washington state, so I'm frequently faced with um, issues that I'm not familiar with, and I thoroughly review the law, our research, and apply the law to the facts presented to me. Well, you're going to be faced with it as a, if you're confirmed. I can assure you of that. She's been a criminal lawyer and a criminal judge, or uh, I guess a, in the attorney general's office, and is a criminal judge. And now she wants to be a federal judge, and she doesn't know that the Fifth Amend- or the Article 5 of the Constitution deals with amendments, hence the Article 5 conventions, and Article 2 of the Constitution is about the executive branch, creates and lays out the authority of the executive branch, with the legislative branch being first because the idea is that the legislature should come first because they make the laws and with House of Representatives being elected every two years, it has the body that is the closest to the people. Then you get to the executive branch. And then finally, in the third article, you get to the judicial branch setting up the courts. But is anybody surprised that Biden would nominate a judge like this to a federal court position? I'm sure not, especially when you have folks like Corinne Jean-Pierre in his administration, or you have Justice Jackson, Ketanji Brown Jackson, on the Supreme Court who he nominated who couldn't even define what a woman is. 303-690-3000, 303-690-3000, 303-696-1971 is our telephone number if you want to join in to the conversation. When we come back, I want to get back to this Tay Anderson story where now he has pressed charges against a critic of the DPS board and has gotten a restraining order against said individual whom he also pressed charges against. What in the world is going on there? We'll pick up the conversation on the other side. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for Stefan Tubbs right here on Denver's local talk leader, News Talk 710 KNUS. Gotta love some harmonica here. ZZ Top. Waiting for the bus. Continuing now, Jimmy Sangenberger in for Stefan Tubbs. News Talk 710 KNUS. Be sure to tune in. This coming Saturday and every Saturday morning from 6 to 9 for the Jimmy Sangenberger Show right here again on Denver's local talk leader, News Talk 710-KNUS. If you want to join into the program, 303-696-1971 is our telephone number to do just that. So, news. Out today, 
about Colorado's biggest races, Denver School Board Vice President Tay Anderson. By the way, I'm still upset that Stefan never got me my talking Tay doll for Christmas. I was expecting it. I was hoping for it. I was excited for it. And then I'm filling in for Deborah one afternoon. Stefan comes in and on the air, he breaks the news to me that I ain't getting one. Devastated. Tied up in lawsuits, all this. I'm still looking for that, Stefan. Even here at the bottom of the hour at 6.30 on a Thursday night, a month out from Christmas, I'm still upset. Anyway, back to our good friend, Tay Anderson. He's gotten a restraining order and filed a criminal complaint against vocal district critic Brandon Pryor who recently won a court victory overturning Denver Public Schools' efforts to bar him from the district property. So this, to be precise, is from Chalkbeat, Colorado. Both men agree that they had an argument Friday morning about Anderson's December vote to move the school prior founded Robert F. Smith Steam Academy from its current location to a former elementary school miles away from the far northeast community it serves. But their accounts of what happened differ. In an affidavit filed with Denver County Court and in an interview with Chalkbeat, Anderson said Pryor swore at him, used abusive language, and threatened him in his place of employment. Pryor said he works in the same building and stops by regularly. He said the affidavit is a lie, that he never threatened anyone. And then Anderson swore at him first, 303-696-1971. Who do you believe, Tay Anderson or Brandon Pryor? Anderson also filed a municipal criminal complaint against Pryor on Monday. A Denver Police Department spokesman declined to release a police report on the incident, citing an open investigation. But of course, we know that Tay Anderson loves to use his police privilege when the opportunity presents itself. To, I don't know, talk directly with the chief of police, to text with the chief of police when he's pulled over or for speeding in a school zone and he wants to cry racism or when he's leading a march downtown during the summer of hell 2020 and he wants the police to watch out for him or when he doesn't like this Brandon Pryor guy. And so he goes to the police and said, guys, please help me. I need a restraining order and I want to press charges. Now, this restraining order issued yesterday is temporary, according to Denver County Court, with a hearing set for February 7th to determine whether it will be extended. The restraining order requires Pryor to stay 10 yards away from Anderson at public forums and otherwise stay 100 yards away from him. Pryor is not allowed to contact Anderson while the order is in place. So Tay's got some drama going on here that goes beyond what the school board has been dealing with, which is a legal case which the board lost over barring Brandon Pryor from showing up to board meetings. Because he is a hostile kind of guy. But isn't that what Tay Anderson is used to? Hostile kinds of guys? Doesn't he associate with the 
hostile guys, isn't he himself often hostile indeed? It's just you can't make this stuff up. It's like hypocritical to the extreme. But that makes it all the more entertaining to watch as it unfolds. What's going to come next for good old Tay Anderson? Who knows? But we'll keep on top of it on my show, on Stefan's show, and my columns for the Denver Gazette and Colorado Politics. I think we're overdue for uh, something in terms of a column relative to Tay Anderson. That'll come soon in the Denver Gazette, where I publish every Friday. By the way, little preview. If you listened last night and you heard Dr. Rob Margeson of Regis University, Associate Professor of Communication there, on my show yesterday, we talked a lot about AI, artificial intelligence. And its impact on education, the impact that it may have on education. Well, tomorrow my column is on that exact topic for the Denver Gazette. Will AI cheat Colorado kids out of an education? Noting in part that cheating is as old as schooling. But what if students don't actually believe AI is cheating? The threat isn't artificial intelligence itself. It's that it may stymie critical thinking and incentivize students to lean on technology rather than on themselves. And that is very true. That is a very legitimate concern. And this whole thing about artificial intelligence, uh, it's crazy. As we did yesterday, I even read one of the answers on these AI prompts. That you can do openai, chat.openai.com is where you want to go if you want to set up for open AI. Uh, by the way, it it doesn't seem like um at least when I was asking a question last night, it doesn't seem like they're right on all the facts. Recently I asked a question, it was interesting. Who is a Jimmy Sangenberger? And part of the answer said I was president of the Independence Institute, (laughs) which, you know, I think John Caldera would have something to say about that one. So I corrected the um, I corrected the chat GPT system on that one and said, no, actually, Jimmy used to be president of the Liberty Day Institute. And then it provided me with. A remarkable answer, explanation as to who, or what rather, Liberty Day Institute was about. So it it is very very fascinating. I just put in the question, who is Tay Anderson? And this is a boring uh, sort of biographical paragraph. Tay Anderson is a community activist and a member of the Denver, Colorado School Board. He is known for his advocacy for equity and justice in education. He was elected to the board in 2017 at the age of 19, making him one of the youngest elected officials in the United States at the time. He is also a member of the Denver Black Lives Matter movement. So that is what 
chat GPT described is Tay Anderson. Text coming in. Sweet baby Tay Tay. If you hate cops, don't call 911. They send cops. Hypocrite. Yes. Isn't that the case? I mean, my goodness. The the way in which he persists in exercising his police privilege, bashing on the police, making them his mortal enemy, and then when something comes up and he needs the police, he will call them and say, please, please, please help me. I want a temporary restraining order against this guy. I want to press charges against this guy. I want to lodge a complaint about my officer who pulled me over for speeding in a school zone being a racist. I've got a march that I'm doing downtown texting Chief Pazin. Hey, Chief, can you watch over us? Send some officers. I just want to give you a heads up. In other words, whenever Tay Anderson needs the police, he gets them. But the rest of us, not so fast. Not so fast. He doesn't want you to have police protection. He doesn't want your kids in schools to help. To be rather helped and supported by school resource officers in their high schools because he voted to get rid of them. I mean... Listener called in earlier and said that he's a despicable human being, and I think there's an abundance of truth to that. You know the question I'm wondering, though? Will the teachers' union that brought their golden boy, Tay Anderson, to prominence on the school board, giving him high five figures in donations, will they continue to support him, or has he become... Enough of a liability, well, they will say, nope, sayonara, too much of a hot potato here, we're going to support some other candidate. Or will the union hold its ground? Because, look, Tay has been taking positions that are not aligned with the union on some things, charter schools and whatnot. It's interesting to see this. But... What is the reason why he's been taking those positions? Is it some genuine change of heart, some genuine support for school choice or charters or something like that? Or is it because he's worried that the union that has been buttering his bread for so long ain't going to be backing him anymore, and so he's trying to curry favor with other sources? Maybe. Maybe that's what's happening. And if that is the case, we'll see who wants to play the game with Tay. And if that does happen and Tay runs and the union puts up another candidate, you need a third candidate, somebody else who can jump in the race and pull from various factions. It can't be some hard right winger. It can't be all about defeating wokeism in schools that ain't going to pass in Denver. Focusing on academic achievement bringing people together from disparate parts of Denver public schools, bringing 
maturity, maturity, back to the Denver Public Schools Board, where they actually focus on kids and not just personal drama, where they don't go behind closed doors in executive session because they're worried about feeding the narrative, as board members Michelle Quattlebaum and Tay Anderson expressed concern about a week before, a week or two before they went into executive session. It would be nice to have an adult, like a real adult, replace Tay Anderson and somebody as well who is not backed by the union. That let's say they abandon Tay. Let's be real here. You can't just wash your hands of a candidate that you got elected on the board by giving some, what, $40,000 or between thirty-five and fifty grand to and support him for a long time, have a working relationship with, etc., and then suddenly you decide, oh, we, we don't want to work with you anymore. We're going to wash our hands of you. You can't do that. You built the guy. You brought about Frankenstein's monster. Now, Frankenstein, you got to live with the monster. Whatever those consequences are. Don't let the union get away from it, from their support for Tay in that way, by the way. Should they try to play a game like that? But I digress. Yes, indeed. As the texter said, sweet baby Tay-Tay, if you hate cops, don't call 911. They send cops. Hypocrite indeed. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for Stefan Tubbs, who, God willing, should be back in the saddle tomorrow after being out this week due to his left hand surgery. Guys, you should see the other guy. Let me tell you. Absolutely. Let me tell you. 303-696-1971, our telephone number. If you want to squeeze in a call before we cut loose at the top of the hour, keep it right here. Jimmy in for Stefan. Denver's local talk leader, News Talk, 710-KNUS. That's not the right key. I was trying to play along, and no, this version isn't the right key. I think. I'm not sure. Jimmy Sangenberger in for Stefan Tubbs, trying to figure out a song key to play harmonica along with it as we wrap up the show. Ten minutes to seven. This is Wilson Pickett with Dwayne Allman on guitar doing an awesome version of Stefan Wolf's Stefan Wolf's, not Stefan Wolf. <laughs> Stefan Wolf. Yes, indeed. He'll be back tomorrow. Stefan Wolf's Born to Be Wild. Of course, Wilson Pickett, the originator of Mustang Sally now, people. Great, great version. But of course, it's Wilson Pickett, it's Dwayne Allman, you can't get better than that. Jimmy Sangenberger in for Stefan Tubbs. Okay, you can't get much better than that. News Talk 710 KNUS, Denver's local talk leader. I'll be here on Saturday morning.
for the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Six to nine right here on News Talk 710 KNUS. Be sure to tune in then for engaging, intelligent talk, sang style, and definitively the best bumper music known to man. Will AI cheat Colorado kids out of an education? Watch for my column tomorrow in the Denver Gazette about that very question. And since I do have a few different harmonicas in front of me, and the listener earlier had indicated the appreciation for that, and I think this is my last one during the week. Why not bring out the harmonica a little bit for just a second? Sometimes you get a little carried away, but you got to have a little bit of fun when it's anticipated now last night on the radio this week. Stefan should be, as I said, back in the saddle if all goes according to plan tomorrow. Godspeed, my friend. Wishing you the very best again in recovery after surgery, hand surgery on Monday, we are always pulling for our friends and indeed for the great Stefan Tubbs back in the saddle tomorrow. Here on News Talk 710 KNUS, of course, George Brockler kicking things off 6 to 10. And I know Jack Phillips will be on 3 p.m. with Deborah Flora. Do not miss that. And then the weekend kicks off with yours truly, Jimmy Sangenberger, Saturday morning, 6 to 9, followed immediately by Peter Boyles. As we wrap up here, I want to have a a final word about Leslie Herod. I teased this a little bit, mentioned it earlier in the show, that former Denver mayor... Wellington Webb has endorsed Leslie Herod for mayor, claiming, quote, Leslie brings fresh ideas and energy. Many candidates have good ideas on paper, but to actually be able to execute is a unique talent. Yes, because the policies that have been soft on crime that have unleashed Denver in decay are such good ideas that you can execute on fresh ideas and energy. Keep in mind that Wellington Webb is endorsing the candidate who went after a small citizens group using taxpayer dollars that were funded, that were taken and applied to funding an attorney 
the Lincoln Project's lead counsel, that is, Mario Nicholas, brought in so that he could go after citizens for a safe and clean Denver small citizens group, get them fined $250, all because they had criticized, had the audacity to criticize Leslie Herod on their website a few times and in a newsletter to their audience of, wait for it, some 1,000 people. God forbid they might criticize just a little bit. And they went after in a few claims. I've written about this. I've talked about this before. One claim was dismissed by the clerk who said this is nonsense. They're not a dark money group. They're, the amount of money they spent on campaign stuff is not even close to the threshold that's necessary in order to be required to disclose any political expenditures. The other one was a disclaimer. They didn't put a disclaimer on their website in their newsletter. And that's how they got fined $250 because they were supposed to do that. But Leslie Herod goes after them, the small citizens group trying to clean up Denver, disagreeing with positions that she has taken. And lo and behold, she gets fined a day before, the day after they're fined, citizens for a safe and clean Denver. Leslie has been fined $15,200, and the day after, by the Secretary of State, for failing to file her personal financial disclosure over 10 months, period. And after getting eight delinquency letters, and she cries confusion. I was confused. I'm an experienced politician running for the fourth time for state house, and I'm confused about the rules. Yeah, right. Needless to say, she got her $15,200 in penalties waived by the Secretary of State down to just $50, one-fifth of the amount of money she got citizens for safe and clean Denver fined with by Denver. And by the way, when I said taxpayer dollars, she's participating in the Fair Elections Fund, which is a nine-to-one match for donations that are qualifying $50 or below. Multiply a $50 donation by nine, and that's the amount of money, four fifty that she gets from taxpayers and $13,000 from the fair elections fund was used to pay the Lincoln projects lead counsel, Mario Nicholas to be sick to go be sicked after this small citizens group. You just can't make this stuff up. Oh, and by the way, who's Leslie Herod, a mentor of Tay Anderson. That's it for me today. Tune in 6 a.m. Saturday morning for the Jimmy Sangenberger show. Stefan, my best to you. Thanks, brother. And may God bless America. Have a great night, everybody. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.